Mason Mount is developing into sort of a Lampard sort of player. But Jack Grealish for me is the missing piece in that puzzle. See, I reckon some girls would have fetched for John Bates' voice. When Chan Siri took over at Wednesday, I bought a tid of John West Tudor. Yeah, you've got to support the club. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to episode three of the Rematch podcast. It may be international break week, but there are no breaks here. We've got just as much to talk about as ever, including Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelleny taking over as owners of Wrexham. We also take a look at the England team. Who's a nailed on starter for next summer's championships and who could make a lit stick for a place on Gareth Southgate's 23-man squad? Furthermore, we celebrate Southend United's first away win in 302 days by telling you what's happened in the world in that time. Finally, for our feature this week, we've got some footy-themed would-you-rather questions. So stick around for that. I'm Sam, your host this week, and I'm joined by Ollie, Cam, Dan and Adam. How are we doing, fellas? Very good. Yes, fantastic. Not bad, mate. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> but it's a national break, isn't it? It's not as fun. I mean, Adam would argue that proper football's still here, so I don't know what you're all complaining about. I'll say the only thing that happened that was decent this weekend was when me and Sam got to Southport and got our temperatures checked. We both measured 27, which means I think we're both already dead, I think. I mean, I'm quite low at the best of times, Anna. You're normally one or two degrees higher than me, but both 27. 27, yeah. I love how you normally know what each other measure. We're competitive about everything, Dan. Temperature, the time we get to the ground, whether Adam stopped off and his MPG is better than mine. Every part of that away trip is a competitive element. And he normally wins all of them. Yeah, I do, yeah. So I'm sure, lads, you've seen this week in the news about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelleny taking over as owners of Wrexham. Just wanted to get your initial thoughts on that. Is that something you can get behind? Is that something, well, we know it's come out, come out the blue, but is that something that surprised you? I mean, in the year of 2020, this is probably up there as one of the most surprising things of the year, is it not? You're right, Sam. It's, uh, it is quite surprising. Um, it obviously got announced, well, kind of announced that it was interested a couple of months ago and everyone kind of thought, I think it is, I definitely thought anyway that it was a bit of a joke. You know, it must be some sort of film that they're working on, maybe in Wrexham. I, I don't know, some sort of, you know, public stunt to get more popularity from Wrexham, maybe for for the two of them. I, I, I don't know, but I didn't believe it at first, and I, I don't really believe it now. I, it's absolutely insane, really, that you know someone that, especially Ryan Reynolds, someone I know really well, watched um, a fair few of his films. So <laughs> someone you know very well. <laughs> <laughs> on the big screen, on the big screen, yeah. You know Blake Wadley as well. Down. Yeah, I was going to say, if you've got Blake Wadley's <laughs> number. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, but, but I'm sure we've all seen at least one of his films and, you know, you wouldn't expect him to be a, a footballer or a, a soccer man, as he would call it. I haven't um, seen any of his films. Of his films. I haven't seen any of his films, I'm afraid. Have you seen any films? <laughs> Not many, probably about three. I, I like Michael Owen. No, to be fair, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelney are two of my favourite actors, honestly. Like, it, it's baffling and crazy, but it does really sum up this this year. There, there is something, though, that's a bit sulphury about it. And I, it's a little bit, it feels false and plastic a little bit, doesn't it? And I'm sure Adam's nodding his head there <laughs> in agreement. But I'd love to see, I would love to see absolutely everything on an equal playing field. In, in low leagues to so give everyone the same chance of getting promotion but it's never going to happen so to be fair it's quite enjoyable isn't it it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster and 
I just really want to see Bootlegger do a cameo in the next Deadpool. I know what you mean, Dan, because it, like, I've got nothing against Salford as such, um, because if they want to go about things as they have, then they're entitled to do exactly that. But it just it doesn't feel like it goes along with the integrity to me, especially especially that level. But I I, I can't see both sides because. I mean, Wrexham fans will never, ever forget this. Even if it goes really badly, even if it ends up bankrupting them, then they'll never forget it. And they'll probably never regret it happening either. I mean, I can remember when Notts County got took over in 2009 by what proved to be a complete sham that had links to the Bahrain and North Korea government and royal family. And you think, well, this is too good to be true. And that's because it was too good to be true. But, and I mean, and now we're a league below 10 years ago when that happened, when Sven and Eriksson came and... I still wouldn't change that. And I think Wrexham fans will probably say the exact same thing, regardless of if it's successful or not. I think in the modern era, though, you've got like, two guys there who are very, very, very well-known. In fairness, your owner back in the day, social media wasn't really a thing when that was all about. I think these two are quite reliable. I think they will... I don't know, you, you just sort of get the feeling from Ryan Reynolds that he's a, he's a down-to-earth guy. Do you know what I mean? He feel, it feels like he's... he's He's in it for for the good of it. Obviously, he's getting some sort of gain from it. Otherwise, he wouldn't bother. But he does feel like a genuine sort of takeover, not something that did it for the bad reasons of it. Yeah, I mean, the Wrexham Supporters Trust backed the takeover overwhelmingly at 98.6%. So I think that's exactly it, Dan, that this is something that Wrexham fans can get excited about. And going back to Adam's point, the glory days of any football club, it all comes down to money, doesn't it? You look at Man City, Chelsea... He's mentioned not Salford, even at our club, Dan Borough. It all comes back to money. And Steve Gibson was piling in the pounds to sign the likes of Juninho, Geiske Mendieta, Bolivine Zenden. Is this not just the same happening at Wrexham? It all comes back to money, doesn't it? I don't know about the money point, but I was just going to go back to Dan's point about the, the whether they're actually genuine or not. I think there's been a lot in the news over the last few years about these two wanting to buy into a project. And apparently they've actually searched the whole of Western Europe for something like this. They want to do something with a club that fits the right values for them, fits the right engagement in the local community, uh, has the potential for growth. So it's not just something that they found on the, the off chance and decided to put some money into it. It does seem like there is actually some genuine interest and genuine encouragement that they actually want to take the club forward and actually put a lot of a lot of their schedule into I think they portrayed well in the media as well, aren't they, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelleny? And because they're both likeable characters, it's helped people get alongside the project that they're trying to build at Wrexham. Do you think that's a factor in what seems to be the media backing them into this move? Well, yeah, I, th- I think it's a mutually beneficial relationship. I mean, you think of it and you think, a lot of Wrexham fans now, say Adam was a Wrexham fan, he's never watched a film in his life. I'm sure he'd then go out and watch a Ryan Reynolds film if he was your owner. You would, wouldn't you? You're right, you're right, I would. So I would. it's promoting them. And you might even watch one after this because now you're interested in Wrexham all of a sudden. Wrexham are growing as a club now. I know what you mean, Dan, from what you first said, was that if Adam was a Wrexham fan, he'd probably watch a Ryan Reynolds film because when, I, when Chan Siri took over at Wednesday, I bought a sort of John West Tudor. You know, you've got to support the club. <laughs> <laughs> It's a more serious tone. I mean, I do, I, I do genuinely wish them all the best. I hope, and I hope it, I hope it does work out well for them. I think it does bring publicity to the lower leagues, if nothing else, which I think is a good thing. And I think they are trying to do it in a in a good way. But I, I imagine, I mean, Ollie said they've scoured Western Europe for 
for who to pick and what have you. I still, I don't think they're going to think that it's going to be easy, but I think even they'll find it harder than they ever envisaged. I mean, I, sorry to bring it back to Knotts again, but, the, but this takeover is very similar to what happened to them 10 years ago. And I can remember the first time that Svenja and Eriksson, who ended up being bankrupt, but he got wiped out because of all of it, because of what happened with him at Knotts. The first time that he thought, actually, this doesn't seem genuine, is when he turned up to Meadow Lane one day and he was told that the milk bill hadn't been paid. And you think, in business of a football club, you'd never expose, I wouldn't, I'd never think that there's the sort of things that these people coming in as owners need to pay for. You know what I mean? My issue is with it is that how on hands are they going to be with it? Are they literally just there on a monetary value or are they going to one day turn up at Wrexham fully suited, booted and I don't know, are they going to represent the club big style or is this just like a, oh, we'll inject cash, we'll get cash out of it, that sort of deal. I mean, I was reading an article by BBC Sport on it and it said that they plan to be at every Wrexham game that they can. So, like Dan said, it's not just going to be distant owners back in America just piling the money in. They want to be involved in this football club at the ground, at the roots of it, and they're going to go to all the games that they can. I'll tell you what, I can't wait for Ryan Reynolds to sack the current manager and put himself in charge. <laughs> I'd say that. Well, well this, is another, this is another thing, isn't it? If, if the manager genuinely... Is it, if you're a manager of Wrexham now, I don't know how they're doing it, to be honest with you. I haven't looked in the tables or anything like that. But say they're doing well and stuff like that. But do, does the manager worry? Do the players in, the, in their minds worry a little bit? Because you're thinking, am I going to just get replaced eventually? Or am I a long-term sort of plan in this, in this club? Because when, when money's injected normally, it comes with a better manager, it comes with better players. Do you think players are worried about that at all? Well, you know how you said that you're the uh, National League expert, Dan? You said that about 10 minutes ago. Who's, who's the Wrexham manager at the minute? Adam. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry, I just, I just don't. Adam, Monday, who, yeah. um, what's, what's Deadpool's real name? <laughs> uh, Peter Parker? Peter Parker, yeah, spot on. Well done, mate. <laughs> oh, I got you. But we'll have to wait and see how successful the new ownership of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelleny is at Wrexham. But it's certainly one to keep an eye on over the next few years. And we wish them the best of luck in their future endeavours. So in the week where Scotland qualified for their first major tournament since 1998, we want to talk about England. What should Gareth Southgate be doing with his squad? Who's a guaranteed starter and who's just on the fringe of the squad? So when I look at... The squad ahead of the Euros, I think centre-back option is the big worry for me. You look at guaranteed starters for that, I'd have said, said Gomez was probably a guaranteed starter 12 months ago, but but now he's somewhat out of form and obviously we don't know what's going to happen with his injury. It looks like it might be five to eight months and you don't know if he's actually going to be ready for that. Uh, personally, I'm not a big fan of the likes of Mings, Dyer or Keane at the back. I was really hoping this season that someone would step up, someone like a Tamori or an Esri Konza at Aston Villa, but it doesn't really look like it's happened, but it doesn't really look like they're going to force their way through the England squad. Obviously, football fans are quite reactionary, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if Harry Maguire does play at the back for England. Uh, I, I can't see that one changing, but as for his partner, I, I honestly couldn't say who, who that would be yet. For me, there's only one guaranteed starter in the whole team, and that's Kane. I cannot name any other player in that team who's worthy, who's been so consistent for England to earn their place in that squad. Jack Grealish last night, though, was incredible. 
it's obviously his debut in a competitive match, so we haven't seen enough of him in an England shirt yet to say that he's nailed on. But if he continues like that, he's got to be the only person alongside Kane who should be starting in that England lineup at the minute. But we do need to fill another nine players. I mean, Southgate went back to the five at the back, didn't he, for the game against Belgium the other night? Can you see that progressing like he did at the World Cup into the next major tournament? And if so, Ollie already mentioned. Harry Maguire, who's the only one he really thinks will start at centre-back with the likes of Joe Gomez out injured. Does that mean you're going to get Carl Walker as another makeshift centre-back again? And does that really utilise our abundance of full-backs? See, when you, when you play three or five at the back, you, you need at least one really quick centre-half. And obviously, you're not, and, if, and if we're saying that Maguire is most likely to start out of all of England's centre-halves, you, you obviously don't get pace with Harry Maguire. So... Kyle Walker obviously was in there for the World Cup, um, you know, and he's been in and out of the team. I think obviously Southgate's been mixing it up, different combinations. But I think if he can have a good season again with with City, I think he probably, I think he probably does get his name onto that, onto that first eleven team sheet alongside Harry Maguire, who plays on the left hand side. Though I don't, I don't know because really I don't think there's a plethora of brilliant centre-backs as Ollie, Ollie mentioned. Conor Cody hasn't been mentioned yet though. Yeah, I was, I was, I was just going to mention mm. Conor Cody to myself. He's the only person I can see making any sort of imprint. But the, the issue for me is that, I mean, Dan, you mentioned Jack Grealish. He is mm. arguably the most informed player in that England starting eleven from the Belgium game. However, I think you've seen Gareth Hathcote's reluctance to even start him. I think we're never going to see him starting somebody else and trying to get someone else through and into a convincing starting eleven role between now and the Euros because he's so against doing that, it seems. Do you think we just... The thing is, it's hard to name a team because we don't currently have an identity as a squad. Southgate's done wonders, I think, in terms of changing the, the feel-good factor to do with England. I think we, we've, we've become a team that everyone's a bit optimistic about. But is that Southgate or is that the squad? Is that the youngsters that we've got coming through in abundance? Or is that Southgate putting faith in the youngsters? I, I know what you mean, Dan. Is in that is it just the players they're coming through at the right time making Southgate yeah, yeah. look good? I think it's it's hard to say. If you look at the squad compare it and compare it to previous uh, Euros campaigns, especially, you know, early ten the early tens. Well, early tens there's only one in the early tens and that was twenty twelve. <laughs> but but that twenty twelve squad I remember was was awful. Even up to 2016, though, it, it, it was only 2018 when we obviously started believing that was under Southgate. But it's just so much nicer to look at. It's so much nicer to look at the England squad nowadays, I think. And it might just be because these young players have all come through, through a nice time. Ideally, I think we'd like a few of them to not be right-backs. But you, you get what you're given, I suppose. And I don't know how Southgate can influence, influence that how he can influence all of these young players, especially when he's not being under-21s manager for, what will it be now, three, four years, maybe five years. We've got the option. I think some of our right-backs, they, they, they are very versatile. Mm-hmm. I'd say Carl Walker, if, if we're playing a back five, right centre-back for me, Carl Walker. That, mm-hmm. That's where I'd play him. And then you've got Trent. And I think Trent, obviously, we know his best position is right-back. He, he probably should be playing his best position. But I think there's the opportunity there to see what he's really like in midfield. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the right of a central three, I'd say. But then again, you have got an abundance of central midfielders as well. 
So it's, this is the difficulty. We, it, it's better to have options at the end of the day. At least we mm. have got these options because a couple of seasons ago, we were tossing it up between who should go up between like Heskey and Defoe. And <laughs> it, they were, they were yeah. both out there prime, weren't they? So. See, I know what you mean, Dan, but I would, I would stick with two central midfielders. I think at the minute where we've got um, kind of three attackers with two of them being more natural wingers, for example, Sterling and Sancho, I think that suits or gets the best out of those. And obviously Grealish and Mount and players like that can play in those wide attacking roles. So I would try Trent next to Henderson in the centre of midfield. You've got two players that are going to work hard that know each other very well. Obviously, Trent's got a, a big future ahead of him. Um, and Henderson's was was maybe not as highly rated as Trent, but definitely came into a sort of similar position where a lot was expected of, it, expected of him so soon. And I think he's now, he's learnt from that. And he's kind of the perfect role model. I imagine he probably is at Liverpool. So why can we not transition that over to England? I think I think they'd have a nice partnership together. I'll tell you what, one of the big problems is as well for England is uh, the fact that we don't have a number one. That's, that's, for me, is the biggest problem because... You can put the defenders in front, but if you haven't got the keeper who they're working with behind, you've got no chances of defence. That's why we conceded mm-hmm. two goals straight away. Just no communication whatsoever yesterday in the Belgium game the other day. It's the same thing you, you said about consistency. You, you look at someone like Nick Pope, how good he was for Burnley last season. But this season he's been rubbish and I think he's only kept one clean sheet in, in the whole of their games. And obviously they, they mm-hmm. sit bottom of the table. And then you look at someone like Jordan Pickford, who just, for me, can't be trusted. And I don't think he should be anywhere near that England starting role. So I'd probably go with someone like, I know he obviously isn't getting as much game time as, as much as he probably should, but someone like Dean Henderson. And you do wonder now if he should have maybe forced a move away in the summer to try and get that England starting spot nailed down. But in terms, of, in terms of the rest of the squad, I think, like you said, it's a young squad. You're always going to have that inconsistency. Players are raw. Even someone like Sancho, who is one of our best attackers. He's been awful for Dortmund this season. Um, so you never actually know what's going to happen with him. And we wonder if he can rediscover his form. But with young players, you just never know. Like Even for someone like Phil Foden, he has a good game for Man City and then he goes missing for five games. And we just need a consistency to actually get that starting eleven. And with, with eight months eight months to go until the Euros, it's, it's a big worry. I think one of the key things that England need to do is find a system that best, best suits Jack Grealish, sorry. And that might seem ridiculous because he's not been in the squad as much as he probably should have, whether that's Southgate's unwillingness to pick him because he loves Mason Mount. We've seen that so many times in his press conferences that he wants to put Mount in that starting eleven. But Jack Grealish, for me, is the missing piece in that puzzle. He links the defence to the attack. We've seen him for Aston Villa take the ball, run with it, get get his team 50, 60 yards up the pitch in the space of 10 seconds and it just allows that quick transition. But where does he fit in a 5-2-3 system? Is it coming in off the left as he does for Villa? Well, then you've got Sterling, Rashford, Sancho all vying for those similar positions he might not get in there. So is he going to then be one of a central two where potentially one needs to be a box-to-box and one needs to be a holding defensive midfielder? When you've only got two midfielders, that limits his chance for game time. I think you need to either switch the systems because like Adam mentioned before, I think he alluded to the fact that Grealish is probably one of the most informed players we've got. We need to make the use of him and I don't think he can die at the moment. Well, I think what you do then is you go to a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 just so you can get, because Mount will play. Mount's going to play because in fairness, I think he's done well. I I think Mason Mount's a decent player and he's he's earned his right to be in that squad. I don't like all the comparisons between him and Grealish. I know the media seem to always pin it like to Southgate. Oh, why are you picking Mount over Grealish? 
And I know they're in a similar position, but I don't see why you can't play both of them. I don't see why Mason Mount, for me, is developing into sort of a, not as good, don't get me wrong, but a Lampard sort of player. He's like, I think he'd be really good next to Henderson, just floating around and picking up the pieces. And he can, he can turn defence into attack very easily there. And then in front of that, I think you've got a three behind Kane of Grealish, Rashford and Sterling. And then I'd have Sancho on the bench. I think that's exactly right, Dan. That, that is exactly what I'd do. Uh, we talked earlier about England's lack of centre-back options and who we think would partner Harry Maguire. Well, for me, the simple option is, well, don't have a third centre-back and then you yeah. can put Grealish into that team. You can have that transition that I was talking about earlier. And it also solves your defensive problem at the back of, well, who do you play next to Maguire and Kyle Walker? And then I think that England team, it sounds daft to say it, but I think that England team sort of picks itself. Yeah, I shivered at the thought of you saying Kyle Walker back in the as a, one of the two centre halves there, because I all I can think about now is that Roy Keane um, post match um, question where he was asked about Kyle Walker, or it, it might have been at half time actually when he gave away um, the penalty against uh, Liverpool, and he didn't have his best game, and Roy Keane absolutely slated him and basically said that you know it was stupid, you know. It was, you know, he's always got a mistake in him. He's always had a mistake in him ever since he, you know, he came back from, well, I imagine he probably wasn't watching him at Sheffield United, but ever since he broke onto the scene at Spurs. And, and, I, and to fact, I do agree. I don't, I don't not, not to the extent of what uh, Roy, Keane, Roy Keane said it is, but I would not, I would not play him in a back, well, in a back four as a, as a centre-half. Now all I can think of is Roy Keane putting makeup on. <laughs> Well, then, could you not shift Carl Walker to left-back then? And then you've got your two wing-backs. If you can have Alexander-Arnold, who mentioned it earlier about he wanted to play in his natural right-back position to get the most out of him. You've got that yeah. there. Then you've got a wing-back on the other side as well. Ben Chilwell's Chil- Chil- yeah. not being able to stand in for Chelsea. He's fitted in like a glove, honestly. He could. Mm. He's probably the most suited full-back for Chelsea ever. It's mm. just perfect. It, 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 for me, Actually, left-back... No, <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I phrased that completely wrong. I was going to say... Chilwell's got a start for England as left back. That, in fact, I, ch- I changed my argument from the start. Kane isn't the only nailed on starter. It's Chilwell as well. Okay, so let's move this on a little bit and talk about who's on the fringes of this England squad. We've seen people in the Premier League like Patrick Bamford and Callum Wilson scoring regularly for Newcastle and Leeds. Are they close to an England call up? They'll, they'll probably get a chance. You can see it happening. You can see an injury crisis happening. But I, I, for me, I don't see the point. I mean, Bamford is in good form. Don't get me wrong. And he's, he's proved his worth in the Prem. Mm. But some players just aren't suited to England. And I'm not being funny, but why do we need more than Kane and Dominic Calvert-Lewin up front? We've got players who could slot in up front if necessary, such as your Rashfords. He'd happily play as, as a lone striker. He could easily do that. So we don't need another, another striker like Bamford because Leeds are suited to Bamford, but England is not suited to Bamford. Who is on the fringe of breaking into this England squad? Then you mentioned earlier Conor Cody. Is there anyone else you think that could slot into the defence that Southgate's overlooking? I can't think of one if there is. I mean, based on Reese past um, past three or four England squads, I think there's enough people there to choose from. The only thing I would perhaps consider if I was Southgate is trying to perhaps tempt Jamie Vardy out of retirement for England. Is the only thing I think that could perhaps get added to that side we've not got. <laughs> anywhere else. I think otherwise, I think we've probably got enough to do it. But I don't know if you'd agree with about Vardy or not. I think he's still still definitely capable. I mean, you see how he started this season for Leicester. Mm. Top score in the Premier League, I think he is, or at least he was. I, I can see Vardy, Vardy going. I, I can, because 
it, it's probably his last hoorah, isn't it? You can't see him get into the uh, World Cup, unfortunately. Not even not not at the standard he's at now. So I mean, mm. I, I think it's it's well suited to him this Euros tournament. I think the only other player I could think of in defence, we may, I, I can't remember. I think Oli might have mentioned him earlier. It was Tamori. I think I'd like to see him maybe go out on loan. I don't know necessarily where, because um, I can't think of a team other than Manchester United that desperately need a, a centre half. I'm not sure Tamori would maybe fit in at Man United, but I would like to see him get some more regular game time, really. Because obviously Chelsea have improved the centre half options over the summer. The, pro- the problem with that and someone like Tamori is that he, he rejected a move to West Ham on deadline day and he rejected a move to Wren earlier in the window. Yeah, right. So he could have had that game time. He could have played every week, but he chose mm. to sit on the bench at Chelsea and now he's not even getting getting considered for the England squad. Well, well, one name that I was going to throw into the heart, I think he's I think he's actually currently in the England squad, but someone who I think could potentially start if he keeps his form up alongside Jordan Henderson in the midfield if we do play a 4-2-3-1 is um, James Ward-Prowse. I think, and I've mentioned it on a podcast before, but his all-round game has is, is improved massively this season. And even with his set pieces, as long as it keeps Kane off him, then I think it's worth worth showing him in the start in 11. Is Ben White worth a shout? I don't think Brighton fans have been too impressed with him this season. Um, but obviously, like everyone else, he's, he's young and he's inconsistent and he's a player you expect to improve on over time. But I think, I think this one might come a bit too soon for him. Yeah, I don't know who's, who's performing best out of that. Uh, out of that back three, really, you know, because obviously Lewis Dunk signed the new contract in here over the summer. There's a lot of talk about him moving. He's obviously not someone that we've mentioned, but I just, I just can't, I just can't picture him going to the Euros. And I guess it's the same, same with Ben White as well. So I think what we've learned from that is that Harry Kane, Jack Grealish, and potentially Ben Chilwell are our only guaranteed starters for England at next summer's European Championships. The rest is up for grabs. We'll and see who Gareth Southgate's picked, and hopefully we can roll the three Lions onto Championship glory. So a pretty remarkable thing happened at the weekend. Southend United, bottom of League Two, actually did a win. They actually won a game away at Walsall, won by a goal to nil. They benefited from Walsall missing a penalty and being down to 10 men. But they won their first away game since January the 18th, which was away, which was away at Accrington Stanley. Before there. COVID was even a thing. Exactly. And in all competitions, they've gone 13 matches without a win away from home. In fact, it was their first win this season in all competitions. But that was such a long time ago, especially what's happened in the world. We thought we'd say a collection of things that have happened since Southend last won away from home. The UK government started and finished their 201-day boycott on Good Morning Britain. <laughs> it's been that long since Southend last won an away match that there were fans in the ground. And since Southend last won away from home, striker Theo Robinson left Southend for Port Vale in the summer, won four games away from home already in the 2021 <laughs> season, including a 2-0 away win at Southend United. Right, so Sam, I knew you'd go for some news ones. So I went for some specific ones about me. So in the summer, I received my first fractured elbow. And that was by falling over, getting on concrete, playing football. I thought you might like that one. Concrete? Yeah, well, I don't know what you call it. It's it's one of them... What, you're playing football on concrete for? I don't know what it's called. It's like the one... It's not. It's obviously not AstroTurf, but it's... I, 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 I it's not Ashton Church, but it's it. concrete. Yeah, it's not Ashton Church, it's concrete. Yeah. And then the, and the second one I've got, which is about me, is that I took hashtag United from level nine of the English football pyramid to Champions League glory on FM20 in that time. No, new camera. 
that would take you like a day, wouldn't it, normally? <laughs> it did well, yeah. It's very, it definitely didn't take me whatever it's been, nine months or whatever. So we about four. Did you go outside? Uh, I, I, yes, I brought my own phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been on quite a personal journey um, since January the 18th. Uh, I graduated from uni, booked two holidays, cancelled two holidays, participated <laughs> in 16 Zoom quizzes, winning zero, seen my girlfriend about three times in person, had 11 COVID tests, found out that I can't eat bread anymore, lost two stone, gained two stone, and grew an absolutely disgusting moustache so bad that my dad sends me a text every morning saying how disappointed he is with me. <laughs> <laughs> so much so that he calls me Marcus Tashford now. <laughs> so I've gone with a bit of a personal one as well. Probably a surprise this out of, out of all the five rematch members, but I've took a keen interest in walking since lockdown started. And I calculated this up to 612 kilometres walk since May. Um, so I just want to put that on a scale with, with other things. So thanks to Adam's maths, he's worked out that this year I've walked 0.16% uh, of the way to the moon. I've walked up Mount Everest over eight, uh, 70 times. I thought I'd make it a bit topical as well. So Vernon Kay is six foot three inches tall. So working that out, I've walked the height of Vernon Kay 461,000 times. <laughs> It's the same distance as if I had walked from my house to Megabytes and back, and then also walked to Adam's house to deliver him a Megabytes, but sadly that has, that has not happened. <laughs> it's also the same distance needed to climb the stairs to shorthand when we're actually at uni, or, or is that too soon? No, too soon. That's too soon. Oh, oh mine a little bit more, uh, bit, a bit more newsy and less personal, but when South End last went away from home, the, U the United Kingdom was still in the European Union. In fact, they only left 13 days after that. But the EU withdrawal bill had not even been through our own parliament by then. The infamous COVID-19 that we're now familiar with didn't even have a name then. It was just called coronavirus until mid-February. And there were no reported confirmed cases in the UK when Southend last went away from home. In other news, there was no plastic £20 note. It was only on paper. Argos was still printing out their catalogues. Storm Brendan, Storm Kira, Storm Dennis, Storm George, Storm Ellen, Storm Francis, Storm Aidan, Storm Alex, Storm Brenda and Storm Laura have all hit the United Kingdom. And you can watch every episode, every broadcast of The Chase more than three and a half times over. Four. Have you? Unfortunately not. I'm, I'm starting the box set. I'm currently on series one. 2008 hours left. <laughs> oh, dear. In short, it's a long time since Zathead last went away from home. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for a new segment on Rematch called Would You Rather? You've probably all heard of it. We're going to have a question from each of us about which things we would rather do about two possible scenarios. So I'm going to kick us off, lads. Would you rather have the best manager in the world with no transfer budget or a bottom half Premier League manager with an unlimited budget? Oh, bottom half? Yeah. Bottom half Premier League? No, best manager. Yeah. Best manager in the world. Nah, get, really? Get Chrissy Wilder. Yeah. Who's the best manager in the world then, Ollie? Well, I'm, I'm biased if I say Klopp. <laughs> no, probably, yes, probably not. but you're probably right as well. So you'd rather have Klopp than... Klopp with nothing than Sean Dyche with... How much did you say? Unlimited, unlimited. Well, come on. 
Sean Dyche is not spending over 50 million on a football. Yeah, Sean Dyche also is attracting. <laughs> Sean Dyche isn't also attracting Sergio Aguero to Turf Moor, is he? Yeah, Sean, Sean Dyche at a buffet. All you can eat goes over, gets a plate of salad, off your chops. One sausage. He's not greedy, is he? Oh, he just ate gravel. <laughs> and that's how Cam broke his elbow. <laughs> I think I agree with Dan. Yeah, I, I can't add to what Dan said. Would you rather spend the rest of your life with a tattoo of your rival's badge on your chest, or would you rather spend the rest of your life speaking like Sean Dyche? <laughs> well, Sam already sounded like Sean Dyche. I think that one's answered for us. <laughs> yeah, I'll go Sean Dyche. My, my girlfriend yeah. might like it. You never know. I was going to say, I reckon there's some girls with a fetish for Sean Dyche's voice. Yeah, I, from, I think what, so. What is it? Is that, where is he from? What is his accent? I couldn't. I could put a, an area of the country to it. Uh, Gravel. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't go around having my rival's badge tattooed on my chest. No. So Sam, to be Sean Sam, in fairness, we wouldn't have to have a tattoo, would we? We don't have a rival. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather permanently have the hairstyle of Arsenal legend Jovino or the 2002 Brazilian Ronaldo? Oh, question. <laughs> I'll tell you something, this is this game at its best, Dan. This is. I'm going to go with Javinho. I think you could flick it over and make it look a bit a bit normal. Obviously, it's not going to look too normal, but once you get rid of the forehead, I don't think it'll look as bad. I think I agree with that, yeah. <laughs> You can't get rid of his forehead. You can't just get rid of it. Yeah, the thing is, if you go with 2002 Ronaldo, you might as well just shave it all off after that. Or do you have to actually keep it and go no, you, you, no, no, that's the point. You've got to keep the front. Yeah, so it look Javinho, like, it look a bit like yours now, but just not, nothing at the back and the sides. Just... I, I think I'd go with 2002 Ronaldo. I'm not sure I can pull off Javinho's hairstyle, mm. to be honest. So it'd probably have to be him. And also, it'd just get in the way when you're trying to do menial tasks, wouldn't it? Like putting the dishwasher and putting the plates in and like your hair just comes in front of your face and you're not able to slot the plates in. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hack it down. I think, I think mine's come down to ability, so I think I'd go for Ronaldo. Just because if you're trying to explain it, you, you can't say... Oh, I've got hair like Javidio. Can you? You say, oh, I've got hair like Ronaldo. Yeah, that's that's acceptable. But hairstyle doesn't give you powers, though. Can no, no, but you can't. No, I'm not. I'm not saying I would get the ability of them. But like, you don't have a crap football and have mediocre footballers haircut, do you? Yeah, Cam goes with Javinho look, and then just starts sprinting round the garden. Like <laughs> uh, so, would you rather have a more successful playing career or a managerial career? I'll go for managerial career, I think, because then you could pretend it was all because of you. I think my reason would be the same. I think I would, I would also rather have more successful. I'd say, I'd say player. I mean, the reason we fell in love with football is because we started playing, playing it, I think. For me, I'd rather be very successful, win a World Cup, score the winning goal in the World Cup final, than win a World Cup. Like, do you remember Iniesta's goal? Or do you remember the fact that uh, Del Bosque was in charge? Three. I think you remember Iniesta's goal. I know Would You Rather only have two options, but mine's got three options, so you kind of have <laughs> to forgive me for that. But your team have drawn Forrest Green away in the next round of the Cup. And good news, fans are allowed back in. So from the concourse, which of these pie alternatives would you rather have? A cauliflower bargy pasty, a caramelised onion and asparagus puff pastry tart, or a corn mince, leek and bechamel sauce pie. They are all genuine things on the Forest Green menu. I'd have the uh, final one, Adam, because you mentioned bechamel sauce, and that's one of the three key ingredients in a parmel. So at least that comes somewhat close to it. 
Yeah, if that's got a bit of spice to it, then I don't even think that'll be that. Oh, God. <laughs> or none of them. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd probably just go to McDonald's that way, though. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to say, are you literally forcing me to have something I can't have? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Let's be fair, actually, I know, I'll tell you something, Dan. Not, not only are they vegan, but most of the things are gluten-free, they're dairy-free, and they're everything else-free. So you, you should be a Forest Green fan. Yeah, taste-free. should. <laughs> Taste for it as well, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Rematch podcast this week. We thought you had as much fun as we have. Make sure to check us out on iTunes and Spotify. See you next week, same time, 6pm on Tuesday.